secret of steel has always carried with it a mystery. You must learn its fatal corner. You must learn its discipline. For no one, no one in this world can you trust. Not men, not women, not beasts. This you can trust. Crom laughs at your four winds. Hello, and welcome to Max and Jason Watch a Movie. I'm Jason. And I'm Max, and today we will be covering 1982's Conan the Barbarian, directed by John Milius, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger as Conan, James Earl Jones as Thulsa Doom, Max von Sydow as King Osric, Sandel Bergman as Valeria, Ben Davidson as Rexor, Cassandra Gava as The Witch. It's quite a high billing for being in the film for precisely four minutes. George Lopez as Subotai, Mako as the wizard, Valerie Quinesson, Quinesson as the princess, William Smith as Conan's father, and that probably rounds out the, the most important members of the cast. But Actually, Ma Max von Sydow was uh, uh, ranked a little bit higher than uh, his screen time would have. Yes, yes. Yeah. yes he, he's, he's in it just about as long as The Witch. So, yeah, he is, he's quite high, highly billed in the film. The film is based on, I want to say really, really loosely based on the Robert E. Howard novels, uh, not novels, but short stories, which were penned in a fevered period between 1930 and 1936, at the end of which, that, uh, at the end of that fevered writing period, Robert E. Howard was a uh, was a really prolific pulp writer. He uh, he lived in Texas. was was kind of a gifted writer, I think. I've read a few of the Conan short stories. There's no real rhyme or reason to the order of them. When when Howard would write them, they would they would kind of be whatever they were going to be. They would maybe they would be Conan towards the end of his life. The first one is about him being a king. And much later in the period is like when almost all of his adventures have, have happened and his kingdom is almost undone by some treachery. And the very next Conan story might be Conan when he was much younger. And he would get these these things published in, in the pulp magazines of the day or the pulp anthologies of the day. Um, Weird Tales, I think, is is yeah. where he, he might have gotten his Conan stories published. But he's, he's written a lot of things. Uh, Solomon Kane, Cull, Red Sonia. He's, he's created, he, he created a lot of stuff before he ended his life in 36, committed suicide or died by suicide. I don't know what the proper, how you say that. Now there's some there's some controversy about how you describe uh, a person who's died by their own hand these days. So anyway, hopefully I haven't offended any listeners with how I phrase that. But I say loosely based on that because uh, this these films were more inspired by the, maybe by the comic books, which were done by Marvel at the time. Marvel had been doing Conan comic books since almost since 1969. They purchased the rights from the, from the Howard estate in 69 for $200 per issue. They would, they would give the Howard estate $200 per issue. And the Howard estate had a very specific rule, though. They couldn't adapt any of Howard's stories for the comic books. They could use the character, but they they could not adapt the stories. They could have him, they could give him new adventures, but they, they couldn't they couldn't adapt to Howard's work. They couldn't alter that. And I, I wonder if that was also not a, a, a stipulation for the movie. Right. They don't adapt anything from the from the novels in this movie. So uh, a, a quick question about that. How how known were the the Conan stories the time that Marvel bought the rights. Was that something that had been forgotten? Yes, pretty much. Okay. Arnold Schwarzenegger, when he took the role
role had never heard of Conan. Okay. Okay. Um, he he knew it was the kind of role he could probably play. You know, very physical yeah. role. Very uh, the, the 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 musculature of Conan is always is is a big part of the novels too. I mean, he's a he's a very you know he has the corded sinews and uh, I can't remember all the Howard phrases to describe his barbarian. But Con uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger never heard of the character, and uh, when he took the role, uh, he was actually the only person considered for the role too. They nobody Dino De Laurentiis the producer of the film didn't want anybody else and Oliver Stone as he was prepping his uh script which they hadn't written there was no script when Arnold took the took yeah. the role he gave I think it was Oliver Stone uh he gave Arnold Schwarzenegger just a big stack of Marvel comics which had been piling up since 1970 yeah uh, so you've got what, 12 years of comics for Arnold to kind of dive into so at the time in 69 Stanley and Roy Her uh Roy Thomas uh mm -hmm. were reading a lot of letters from Marvel fans and they were like you guys need to adapt you guys need to purchase the rights for some sword and sorcery hero and there were there yeah. were so many knockoffs but but robert howard probably you know helped find found this this genre of literature now you were you uh before we re started recording you were asking some questions about the mythology howard is kind of like a lower brow tolkien i think yeah uh the, the stories of conan take place during this imagined mm -hmm. era of earth called the hyborian age right. and it's sort of like middle earth that thought had occurred to me I, now I, I'm not even sure if Tolkien was ever that specific about whether or not Middle Earth was Earth. Yeah, yes, yes. Yeah, um, but that thought had occurred to me while while watching this about how this kind of is it's kind, it's kind of a lost age. Yes, but but a somewhat civilized age. Yes, uh, yes. Just one that you know that that, that all of the rec and I guess that's why Atlantis is mentioned. As yes, well. yes. In, in the beginning with the with the kind of marvelous narration by Mako Mako, yes. the uh, Japanese American actor who who does quite a quite a great bit of narration in this first film yes conan the barbarian so marvel i was in the habit of optioning previously existing properties they did the same thing for shang chi when they were creating their big kung fu character they optioned uh fu manchu the sax romer yeah. novels and uh to give uh, shang chi a bad guy that he could he could kind of uh fight so this is something they were into the conan comics were very popular there were two different titles he wasn't quite as big as spider-man but he there was conan the barbarian there was the savage sword of conan yes. um which was a bigger more mature reader magazine the savage okay. sword um penciled by the by the enormously talented barry windsor smith and written mostly by roy thomas stan lee didn't want to go with conan by the way there were some other characters that he thought whose names he liked better and who, who he thought would look better in print he wanted to go okay. with he wanted to go with cole or another knockoff sword and sorcery character called thorngar but okay. stan was like i don't think c's work very well on on titles he didn't think they looked as strong as a k or a t or something like that, which I thought was kind of interesting. Those kind yeah. of decisions that, that you make. The comic books certainly inspire this script. I can't remember who wrote this, who came up with the original story, but the the shooting, the, the the credited shooting script is done by Oliver Stone. Oliver Stone did the the credited shooting script, but uh, apparently uh, John Milius, as the director, came in and rewrote a lot. Yes, I, I actually found somewhere where uh, Oliver had decided to make it in the future. Yes, he basically turned it into Thundar the Barbarian. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Folks, for those of you who don't know, Thundar the Barbarian is a really wonderful Hanna-Barbera uh, Hanna cartoon that seems to steal from every science fiction piece of the 70s. It's a post-apocalyptic future where magic and science combine. Thundar the Barbarian. The year 1994. From out of space comes a runaway planet hurtling between the Earth and the moon. Unleashing cosmic destruction. 
from the old, a world of savagery, super science, and sorcery. But one man bursts his bonds to fight for justice. With his companions, Ufla the Mock and Princess Ariel, he pits his strength, his courage, and his fabulous sun sword against the forces of evil. You can go to Amazon right now, audience, and get the whole series for $19. And I recommend everybody do that. It's a Oh, I, I loved show. it. Yes. I loved it. I loved it when I was a kid. I still enjoy it. I still think it's a lot of fun to watch. You're right, because like Milius did not like the idea of setting it in a post-apocalyptic future. He wanted to set it in the Hyborian Age. Yeah. So briefly returning to the Howard stuff. Uh, so Hyborian Age is, is, is this kind of lost period of Earth that Howard basically reworked all of the cultures of his era into his novel. He sort of changed their names a little bit, which mm-hmm. can be some somewhat confusing to readers if they have any knowledge of, of geography at all. They're like, what is that? That sounds like sounds like Afghanistan. What's Afghulistan? Which is a place that he makes up in the novels. And it actually annoyed his uh, most constant pen pal, uh, Lovecraft. Uh, oh, yes. yes. And Lovecraft complains about uh, Howard's work in that he wished he didn't have this. A, he didn't have this as a comparison at the time. But Tolkien doesn't fall into that trap of like renaming like modern play. He created a completely new world without any easy, without a lot of easy analogs to modern places like, you know, to places in, in, in the reader's real life. But like, I find it a little annoying sometimes when I'm reading Howard. Things like Afghulistan. I can't remember what the word he uses for Pakistan, but he calls Vindaya. Vindaya is clearly India. Yeah. So so that can be a little annoying to readers who have any grasp of geography. But maybe if you're writing to, you know, young readers of pulps, maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe it didn't bother people that much but we're living in a uh, post-tolkien world yeah and 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 to be fair to almost anybody tolkien was an expert on language that was actually his primary focus in creating those stories was to create a an entire linguistic culture and a pulp writer probably isn't going to spend a lot of time doing that i wouldn't no 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 well and and like when you uh, a lot of the pulp writers were paid by the word to the extent that 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 there's a coherence to the hyborian age it would be a credit to how Howard, you know, who's yeah, constantly yeah. churning out material, but they were popular stories. They were well, doing reprints. They were doing reprints even up into the '60s with uh, Frank Frazetta art on the cover. But uh, that brings us to 1982 and and this film. What does, just real quick? Do you know? Did he do a lot of work to try to keep consistency in in the stories? Did he try to create a, a mythical timeline and Not, create a lot of continuity? I mean, continuity doesn't really isn't really a problem. He Howard picks different periods to write about Conan and the stories function very well as standalone stories about a single person. You could kind of imagine that they would fit in a person's, there's a lot of gaps in them and he doesn't try, Howard doesn't try to fill these gaps. He just would talk about him at the end of his life or towards the end of his life when he's a middle-aged guy. Now he's got his own kingdom. And then we have little vignettes of him and his adventures before this this period. But the Howard stories sort of work in a way that uh, it's a little shocking because you only have like, I don't even think 10 short stories of Howard's. Okay. I don't think there are that many, but there aren't, there's just a handful of stories. You could, you could fit them all in a single volume if you wanted to. Sidebar. Okay, audience, it looks like I was a little off. There were 
21 complete stories by the time of Howard's death in 1936. Only 17 of them had been published. So yeah, a little bit more than 10, but not a whole lot of stories overall. Let's join it at the sidebar. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You know, because he does play in sort of established regions, readers don't actually have to have a lot of stuff filled in for them about the cultures, whereas Tolkien did have to do a lot of filling in for mm. readers because he's creating a whole new world, whereas Howard could lean on what people knew about Afghanistan or India or yeah. handy for a pulp writer. <laughs> but yeah, this film actually goes more in the direction of Tolkien, I think, in, in terms of world building than, than just kind of like, a, it does and try to, to use the, a lot of the names uh, of, of the regions that Howard created. You know? Well, it, 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 it hints at world building. Yes, uh, yes. That's, that's I, mean, fair. I mean, I think, you know, as someone who's, and that's why I'm asking you old questions, yeah. who I, I have not read Howard's work. Yeah. I kind of felt in watching this that there's this there's this long story uh, about, you know, the, the arc of Conan's life because yeah. this film will hint, I think, pretty quickly that, you know, eventually Conan becomes a king and this kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and I believe there was also a Marvel title called called King Conan. I, there was, there was. I, yeah. I, yeah. So that's, that's that's the third title. I mean, yes. one more and he would have had the, the I think the Spider-Man uh, yeah. quartet, yeah. you know? And so, uh, I, so Conan was always a tremendously popular character and and I don't think it was just for the for the scantily clad women in the in the comic book, but but I thought it was a really well-written comic. Uh, yeah. I used to read it quite a lot. I didn't collect it regularly, but but sometimes a Barry Windsor Smith cover or a Sal Basuma cover would grab my eye and be like, oh, I get it because you can jump into a Conan story pretty much at any issue, right? Villain of the, <laughs> villain of the month, and you could kind of jump on and jump off as you needed to. Yeah. But here, this film does hint at world building, and it does hint at a broader narrative journey for Conan to take. And I think that's pretty fair to Howard because ha Howard has that this hint at a, an incredible life of adventure that Howard didn't tell us all about. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think that his estate wanted to keep the Howard stories Howard, and if they licensed Conan out they were very fine to have other people come up with new stories about Conan and, and right. flesh that life out. Now, some fans, like die, whore, die, die hard hordes of Howard fans, aren't necessarily happy with this movie because it does eschew the the original stories. But if the film, if, I, I would, I'd be curious to ask Milius or any of the other people on the production team, if they were under the same kind of agreement with the Howard estate that Marvel was, they couldn't adapt People of the Black Circle or The Tower of the Elephant or any of those classic stories and and i think that it wouldn't have worked as well i mean would it be good so in in i think the first story is tower of the of uh, the elephant i could be wrong about that uh but conan's an old man who's we've already got this established character and i think the movie would have had to work a little harder to get us into that story which isn't yeah. as action-packed at all i mean it's not really that it's it's a it's more of a court intrigue kind of story with some fighting okay this film is conan's origin story correct yes what did you think uh what what what, what production notes do you have here uh, uh well I, I i do know um that it was actually originally uh edward pressman who has already been a villain in our in max and jason watch a movie before, mm -hmm. and i did not and i did not make the connection uh and there actually there is a connection with this specific movie edward r pressman was also one of the producers of record for uh the masters of the universe
Universe. Oh. Uh, but he had originally, he had bought the rights very cheaply to make this movie in the early 70s because he just thought it was a great idea. And I think Oliver Stone even got attached pretty early when Pressman was in charge. Um, there was no studio that wanted to fund it. And so Pressman had, he, he didn't have the money to make it. He couldn't get any studios interested. And that's when Dino De Laurentiis came, became involved because he did have the money. Yep. And I guess Pressman made a deal that he basically would let De Laurentiis kind of take over and and make the film. And Pressman would just, I, I'm not sure if he was going to get any profits necessarily. Um, I don't know if there was merchandising or anything like that that he was yep. going to get out of it. Uh, when De Laurentiis became involved, that's when, um, in fact, I, I want to say John Milius might have even been involved for De Laurentiis because Milius had got involved pretty early on, had become very interested, then bowed out, then came back. Okay. And and then he took Stone's screenplay and then and then rewrote a bit of it. A, a lot of the, you know, basic stuff, like I think the witch and the, the tree of woe yeah. stuff, that was Oliver Stone. But actually Milius kind of kind of rewrote a lot of it. And and so I'd be kind of curious because I know that Milius has said um John Milius was a uh, the, the primary shooting script writer for first two Dirty Harry movies. He also I I'm just looking at this, he's primarily known as a writer because I'm looking at his his IMDB page is mostly about his writing. He wrote Red Dawn. He wrote. He's one of the writers on Apocalypse Now. He's uh, he adapted Clear and Present Danger. Of course, yeah. Farewell to the King. The Life and Times of Judge Roy Bean. Jeremiah Johnson. As you said, the, the two evil, uh, two Dirty Harry movies. Uh, sorry, I <laughs> stumbled, audience. I just read that he also wrote a movie about Evil Knievel. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's not all gems, I guess, out of the out of the mind of John Milius. Well, but, I, I, I saw I saw a quote from him in which he said that in terms of you know doing rewrites on Dirty Harry. He said, well, anybody that has seen my writing can can pick out what parts are mine because I like to write characters where the good guy is really not that different from the bad guy. Okay. Except, except just in final end, you know, motivation. And that, that kind of got me to thinking uh, how much of Milius and his writing ended up, you know, crafting this movie. Yeah. Uh, because certainly Conan is a very appetite-driven guy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, as we're to assume, you know, in, in, in this age of heroes because that's also true of the of the the, the stories of the greek hero yes yes um, they're, they're often driven by a desire for glory or 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 monetary gain you know jason goes after the golden fleece and uh and, and so forth so uh I'm, I'm wondering just how much of the conan we get in this movie is a, a product of milius himself that I, I i i didn't think about that but the other thing i kept wondering about as i was watching it on this viewing now, folks i've seen conan the barbarian many many times but this was the first film I uh, this is the first time I watched it where I was kind of thinking about uh, story beats of the of the film and it, you could almost argue that that Milius or Stone had a copy of the hero's journey with them on this because there's yeah. so many so many things from from that kind of primer on writing a hero story uh, yeah, yeah. that a lot of directors in this era and a little earlier were kind of carrying around with him even the guy who wrote the book for Rambo used the hero's journey as kind of his template take John Rambo through the beat of his 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 hero's journey. Uh, right. You, quick pot, potted history of the hero's journey. Go in thirty well, seconds. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the, the whole idea is just the idea that that you know when you go back through time and you look at the, the ancient mythology or modern mythology, only it's done more consciously, I guess we can assume today. But it's just the idea that uh, every human being has a certain adventure uh, in, in just being born into the world, and so all the cultures of the world kind of create these heroes who you know more more adept than you or I, uh, people to be imitated. But these are these are 
characters who have to take on the forces of the world and they have to overcome something uh, so that they can get some kind of to uh, a totem token or a piece of knowledge or or become king or to get the princess or uh, there's usually it's the same story just recast in different ways and and certainly this movie specifically hits all of those marks you know because yes. oftentimes the hero has to has some hardship from his youth maybe he's the son of a king but doesn't know it and uh, because there was some situation his parents were killed and he has to go over here and, and and he meets someone along the way who wiser than him and can kind of give him guidance along the way and these are the stories that have been told in human and, and you find them through every culture and they appeal to us they appeal yeah. to us at very kind of primal levels. yes there's a person who wrote a book that sort of details the common elements of the hero's journey that, that all cultures kind of rep uh, recognize joseph campbell joseph campbell yes yeah. and so if you were to look at that book you would see the outline for a lot of the hero stories especially of the 70s and early 80s and this one like as jason said it hits a lot of those notes oh before we get on i, I like the music for this film a lot okay yeah but i don't think that i could call it a real score because it feels I, it feels kind of canned the music feels kind of canned we don't have we don't have themes so much i didn't i didn't catch any anyway that's true that is true whoever did the music for the film i think the the, the music of the film is very well wed to the the moving pictures that go across the screen but um and i love this i love the music but what did you think of the i want to get this out of the way early is this a, a score where's the music come from what do you know about that see i and i just read about this today because actually i i i love the score a lot it it was it was kind of jarring like it, i i you know you just described it as canned i felt that it definitely had a very classic feel to it to to to, to the extent that you just you didn't run into a lot of movies in the 80s that would have had a score that sounded like it it's a big score i mean it's a it's big music i, I when i say canned i mean it just like it almost feels to me like milius was like just like trolling through a classical uh, uh, uh you know a classical music section one day and was like oh i like this people haven't heard it a lot but i'm gonna this is perfect for conan you now, know it's it's funny you say because he considered doing that oh did he um and actually some of the music that he wanted to use he he only discovered like during filming had already been used in excalibur by john borman okay uh, direct directed by john borman and it was all oh, well we can't use that so he asked uh, basil polidorus who was a friend of his to really come up with original stuff okay so there definitely was a certain feel that they were going for because actually uh, you watch Excalibur which is, is great Excalibur does use that uh, like pre-existing classical mu uh, musical material okay and that was that was originally intended to be done for this but when Milius found out that that had already been done he wanted to do something else and so he asked uh, Polidorus to, to come up with something and, and it does sound similar I mean actually musically this movie does have a lot actually visually as well this movie has a lot in common with Excalibur and that's not a criticism I think for this period, you know, in the pre-CGI era, I think this film and Excalibur uh, are are kind of the way films like this should be done. But yes. but I, I I like the score uh, a lot. It, it, it has it has a classic feel to it, and I think that would give you the impression that it had to have been written long ago. Yeah, but but it wasn't. Oh, that's interesting because I didn't yeah. know that. I didn't know that. Um, I, I didn't see any like 
like in modern films or even in films of this area, you get like, I didn't see this and I could have missed it. I didn't get a big note on who did the score, but I could have just missed it as it went by. When I say can and, and my, 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 as I speak about this film, I'm not, I'm not saying I didn't like the score. I love the, I love the music of this movie, but I, like I said, I thought it must've been from some other time period. I mean, it's very big and it's, and, and it fits with this, this movie quite a lot. Returning to your comments about how this film was done. This film has big sets. It has a lot of location shooting. It's shot in Spain. It kind of grounds the movie in a way that if they had done it as they might have done it in the... 50s and early 60s on sets and back lots yeah, yeah. this film would have looked really bad yeah but because they they opted to use real locations and 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 do really big sets and really quality sets i think you, you know for the time for 1982 i think that this that really helps make the viewer think they are in a real place oh i i think absolutely i i i agree i think that of, of all the strengths of this film the production design is is absolutely perfect this movie for fans of traditional special effects, this movie is a treasure trove of how it's done. Yes, and, and, and unlike and, and yeah, just uh, just to create some context here, it was I believe the year before it was eighty one. I believe it was eighty one. Was Clash of the Titans? Yes, w- which had a lot of stop motion animation. Yes, this film, in terms of set design and and just visual style, uh, is a lot like Clash of the Titans, but without the stop motion animation. Yes, yeah, yeah I think you have to be. There's no jarring introduction of those kinds of special effects elements. Now, you and I are fans of Harryhausen and the stop motion yes, process, yes. but it's impossible to deny that you're watching a special effect when those are yeah. happening. And you kind of have to kind of have to give it that. Whereas they didn't do that with the, there's a giant snake fight in this that that, that doesn't have that problem. It doesn't linger I, too much on, on it either. It's shot really brilliantly, I think, but the writers didn't put themselves in any corners with giant creatures that they would have to you know, animate as well. Now, Clash of the Titans was supposed to be about that spectacle of, of giant creatures and then but this this is a little different so yeah I, I wanted to highlight that when while it was on my mind just just that location shooting I think it, it grounded the film the, we get an introduction to the world uh, narrated by Mako and he kind of gives us the the rundown of where we're at between the time when the oceans drank Atlantis and the rise of the sons of Arius there was an age undreamed of and on to this, Conan, destined to bear the jeweled crown of Aquilonia upon a troubled brow. It is I, his chronicler, who alone can tell thee of his saga. Let me tell you of the days of high adventure. Which, you know, and if, if I recall, a lot of what he says was often printed in the Conan comic. Yes. In the, in the little introduction that Marvel used to put. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, on the first page. This is a fantastic way. I mean, even now, but certainly in 1982, mm-hmm. is just a fantastic way of introducing a fantasy movie and, and just building intrigue. Maybe somebody that doesn't know anything about Conan and, and, and we get these references to Atlantis and, and this introduction to this, this era of high adventure. Yes, yes. And I think it's a great way to begin the movie. I yeah. agree. I agree. Yeah. And then almost from that, we get the one of my favorite moments in the film, the opening credits. I might be getting this uh, this a little bit wrong, but but uh, of the forging of his uh, father's sword. Conan yes. lives in a village, a, a kind of northern northern village. He's from a people called the Sumerians. C-I-M-M-E-R-I-A-N. Not Sumerian. 
Marianne's, which I thought for years, just because I don't hear very well. <laughs> but it, we, we get like the nice little vignettes of the village life as his father's forging this sword, which looks a lot like a very uh, iconic sword from history. I think it looks a lot like the Hutton Sioux sword. And uh, and he has this really wonderful talk with his son, a vignette that, that basically gives the son the most important, the most important riddle, the most important thing that they have to know about in, in Sumerian culture, which is they have to understand steel. Yeah. And his father has a very cynical view of the world, but his father says, you know, this, this, this son, this is where power lies, you know, not man, not woman, not beast can you trust, but this, yeah. this you can trust. And the kid is as good an actor as kids are, but I thought one of the, the brilliant things about Milius's choice of this kid is that I could see this kid becoming an adult Arnold Schwarzenegger. I thought, I thought they picked a, a, a young actor pretty well because I thought, you know, that, well, that kid looks like he might become Arnold in the future, you know? Yeah. Sometimes it doesn't work, you know? Right, right. Well, one of the things that, that I think will come up again and again uh, in my reflections on this film, and, and I will credit both Oliver Stone and John Milius, I think probably they both um, had a lot to do with this, but in terms of economy of dialogue and and just the use of, of even uh, visual footage to, to, to create character development and provide motivations to viewers, this movie is, is, is astounding to me because we only get, as you said, a little vignette of father talking to son in which all of Conan's motivations are, or at least his early motivations, his early understanding of, because of, he, he doesn't have much time with his with his family, are, are, are laid out for us perfectly. Yeah. I love that section of the movie because um, we, we don't spend a great deal of time with him having a little adventure as a child or or, or, or anything like that. I mean, his parents are, 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 are because he's younger, his parents are going to be distant memories to him anyway. Yeah. And for us who are watching, that's all that they really need to be for us. Yeah. And, and and I think that this just lays out everything that we need, the the, the kind of the pagan religious beliefs uh, of his people, or at least the extent to which he even learns about them. Riddle of Steel and Krom. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's kind of it. And that's, that's an idea that kind of stays with Conan as he gets older. It's one of the few things that does hang with him, you know, um, his whole life. Uh, yeah. And it's, a, it, it's, it's very formative to him. I mean, he's probably nine or ten, I think, when tragedy strikes his village. Yeah. Would you say would you say that's about right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, oh. he, he's definitely, I mean, he's no longer a child, but, yeah. but but at the same time, when the village is attacked and and he's taken into slavery, he spends a great deal of time uh, at the grinding wheel. Yeah. You know, in which that kind of just becomes his reality, really. Yeah. I think that we can kind of assume that, that you know, the life of his past, I mean, even though he, you know, he did have 10 years with his people, as you say, is just kind of like a, kind of like a dream to him. Oh, I'm sure, point. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, I'm sure that at the wheel, it's just about survival. Before that, though, I want to talk what you were saying about economy of dialogue. Uh, sometimes we complain about movies of this era with their action heroes not having a lot of, action movies not having a lot of dialogue and just being like raw action. But this is almost, I was thinking about this as I watched it this time. This is almost a silent movie. Yeah, you yeah. know, so, I mean, this is a silent movie with sound. <laughs> Yeah, we got yeah. a wonderful score, but the way they tell the 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 story that the the, the way Milius tells the story he wants to tell with visuals is so great. We understand, like you said, everything we need to know. We know that trouble's coming. As we don't need to know anything about these riders with the black sun and black moon and snake crests riding towards his village. We understand that they're bad. Yeah, we understand that life in his village is pretty nice. And there's no there's no real dialogue in this attack. Right, these people right. come. These these riders in black. They attack the village. And, and the village doesn't go out quietly. There are a lot of good fighters in the village, but they're overwhelmed. Yeah. We get, Conan has to watch his, fa 
father be killed. And his father's yeah. like, his father's doing pretty well for a while with his with his sword. And But, you know, you can only be ridden at you know, 10 times tops yeah, before yeah. somebody finds the mark, you know. I was happy that the, the attack Rottweilers that were running through the scene made it through without getting killed. But just the scene where Conan is fishing and the, the wild man hops up on the boulder by him, you know, he's kind of petrified in, in place. The wild man who hops on the boulder and then is flanked by all the horses and the the uh, the Rottweilers uh, that are armored. How cool is that? Armored attack Rottweilers, people. This is just a brilliant movie. But the guy on the boulder is Franco Columbu, which is Arnold Schwarzenegger's best friend, an Olympia contender. Never won, won, won the big show, I don't think. Set early records for deadlift. Anyway, the village is attacked and as you said, I think, but it's almostly without dialogue. There's actually no dialogue. And then uh, the leader of the group gets the sword that, that the most valiant fighter was fighting with. And that's Conan's father. And uh, and then he has a the leader of the group is James Earl Jones. We don't know his name. We don't know anything about him. I still find this every time I've watched this movie, I find the scene where he squares up with with Conan's mother to be kind of harrowing. Yeah. And Conan is holding her hand as she's like trying to defend him. And something that seems to happen, it almost seems like uh, the the character's name we'll come to find out is Thulsa Doom, and it's played played by James Earl Jones. And he almost disarms her with some kind of hypnotism. I never realized how co- how amazingly interesting James Earl Jones's eyes are. Mm-hmm. But the film uses some close-ups on him, and we almost see him like hypnotizing her because yeah. she's got her sword raised, and then she lowers it, and then and then of course uh, he he drops the hammer on her. But I thought that scene is just terrifying. I just thought the whole village attack is actually kind of just really great filmmaking. Oh, absolutely! In an action film like this, you kind of want the movie to inflame you as well, yes, so that you have a reason to go along with the character and and feel what he feel he or she feels. And I feel that uh, if you want to call it manipulative, it's delightfully so. And I think serves to to kind of cement the fact that I don't know. It's almost like that we're uh, we're chained to that grindstone, just like Conan is. Well, it's true. And yeah. one of the things that I, one of the things that the scene really does is that Conan is almost he's he's at that age where you get the sense that he's really bewildered by what's happened. It's almost he's almost he's he's almost old enough to really grasp it, but he's also at that age where it might not even seem real to him because he seems right. He just seems so. The, the, I don't know if it was the good acting of the kid or the or, or the or the smart way Millie is shot around him but it works really well for some reason Thulsa Doom looks at young Conan and regards him pretty deliberately I thought and then mm. leaves and Conan ends up going off with the veneer as Mako would say I as I whenever I watch this movie I think man Mako should be narrating as many things as as James Earl Jones himself or Morgan Freeman I mean these guys should be narrating all of our movies but Mako kind of says nobody knows why but yeah. the 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 children that survived were sent off with the veneer and a bunch of them get hooked up to this grindstone that Jason was talking about which is a really wonderful set design prop and they just kind of grind whatever grist is required <laughs> and uh, right, yeah so and here we get some time lapse of the people at the stations of the grindstone they're all handcuffed to it but uh, the stations start to thin until the final bit where we've all we've been looking down at Conan from his mop of shaggy hair until finally he looks up and it's now the Conan fully adult pushing the pushing the grindstone whatever the veneer whatever we might criticize them about they did feed these people well because Conan is huge Um, and it's interesting this is the first time I noticed it I've been watching this movie since late 80s the kid who clinks him up to the uh, to the grindstone it was a kid about his age maybe a little older but in 10 years that guy comes back and it's the 
we know it's the same guy, I think, because of the red hair. I didn't notice that yeah. until this this time watching. I was okay. like, oh, it's the same yeah. guy. And yeah. uh, Conan is, uh, the next vignette in Conan's life is, uh, he's very rudely thrust into gladiatorial battles. Yeah. And it's sink or swim. It's pass, fail course. Yeah. Conan does well at that, I guess. And he really takes to it. They've really, uh, the, the I think that was what the veneer wanted. They wanted basically a, a, a good pit fighter. This was some way they make them. And Conan really takes to the arena. Yeah. Anything you want to say about this next vignette? I, I mean, well, I yeah. Just, well, I mean, I mean, really, what this is all supposed to be, and you're, and, and again, right? This is all it, mainly visual, and, and it is really amazing how this movie can can just kind of go from scene to scene and and just give us these little little vignettes from his life, and that doesn't stop really at any point. Later, when he uh, meets Valeria, I mean, their relationship is also kind of told in, in almost like a montage kind of way. But we'll get to that. Yep. He, he he he's now strong, muscular, and now he's basically being trained in the ways of the warrior. Yeah, and 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 this is kind of his indoctrination into how a warrior acts which is not something he could have learned at the at the grist no 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 yeah i, I think that what, what we get out of this is that okay he's fought in the arena a bunch of times and now the veneer are willing to put some training into this yeah. into this fighting dog that they've created aside from the fact that he has to fight for his life every month or every week or whatever he is treated pretty well yeah. i mean he lives in a cage i mean pretty well for a slave i mean that's not i mean obviously that's not <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I, they're qualifiers, audience. I, I nobody should have to live this life, but but I mean, he gets trained by the best swordsmen that they can find. He's educated. He learns how to read and write. They do breed him with with people, and he demonstrates that he's. I mean, this is all uh, you. Would, this is all immoral stuff, but but he he demonstrates that he's he's not necessarily the mon um, the monster that these people are. Really, you know, like yeah, like I know they 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 thrust a female slave in with him, and she's frightened. The guys on the outside of the cage are all grunting and laughing and stuff like that uh, at, the, at, at the at the breeding they're going to watch, right? But Conan isn't like them. He's very nice to her in the in the scene. Yeah, uh, yeah. And so he's he's a little bit different than them, but, but also not terribly different than them, which we'll find later when uh, he's asked what's best in life. <laughs> but he's learning all these things. And uh, we see a final fight and Mako lets us know that, you know, all that mattered to Conan in this period in his life is it wasn't life or death. It was just the cheers of the crowd, yeah. you know, and he, he would live or die, but... You know he was gonna he was gonna go out there and fight and and then he hangs out with the people he's always in chains but but the people who train him and keep him around seem to like him because mm -hmm. yeah because uh, they're basically Mongols I think yeah somebody comes in and they're like oh we've won another battle and they're like yeah and then they uh, the the famous scene this is good but what is best in life the open step three thoughts tokens at your wrist and the mint in your hair. Conan, what is best in life? To crush your enemies, see them driven before you, and to hear the lamentation of the women. And but but all throughout this, you know, we do see little vignettes of the little snippets of the big red bearded guy who is basically his handler. So, do you think is Conan saying that to show that he uh, that he's mimicking the values of that culture that has made made him into a gladiator? Because as you pointed out, he, he has a uh, he has a compassionate streak in him. Yes, that would seem to be kind of at odds with that statement. You know, you know I hadn't thought about that, but I think you may be right. 
right because he's not really like that is he yeah maybe he was just parroting what they said because that's how you survive in that situation now that's that's subtext we're adding because the film is ambiguous on this point a little bit now we'll find later on that conan is has pretty liberal ideas about right. personal property you know but but he's not a monster in the way that the people who own him are well and, so well, i i i want to introduce this and see what you think of it okay. for listeners uh, i i minored in philosophy in college so i you know i i read a, a little philosophy and i think about sometimes when i watch movies i try to see what kind of ideas are are being played with if there are ideas being played with at all and i found this to be a very thoughtful movie and and the thing that i began to see is conan as kind of the the nietzschean ubermensch or superman now now and i don't mean that in a bad way people think of you know that they hear about nietzsche and the superman and they think of hitler or something like that but that's not what nietzsche meant he meant that you know the superman is the person who is in the end is fine is able to create their own value system mm-hmm. and you know that value system can be something very positive it doesn't have to be mere domination because and what struck me in this instance is that here's these uh, these people that have trained him to be a gladiator and as you pointed out in in terms of the contrast between conan having some compassion for the slave girl yet the people of the of the culture that he is currently kind of enslaved to they don't have that kind of compassion well conan conan though is a character in this movie that he does follow his own code and we will see that the religious instruction that he got in the first scene is something that he struggles with as the movie goes on in terms of determining what his motivate what his real motivation is even going to be and and i actually i saw i i kind of when i watched this i saw it through those eyes yeah conan as being this early human who because of the circumstances the hero's journey that you talked about it, it um is he takes those experiences and ends up becoming kind of his own man and he never really inhabits the the um the values of any of these cultures that he runs into yes. and ends up kind of creating his own uh, kind of way of seeing the world and then uh, you know in a very individualist way kind of impresses that upon the world and the reason he's our hero is because his way of seeing things is so obviously better yes yes <laughs> than, than, than anything else. you see what i'm saying yeah. i mean that's that's kind of how i watched this and and i found it to be very engaging to think of it in that way i i agree with you i mean i i thought that it was a very thoughtful film as well the film opens with a nietzsche uh, an epitaph from nietzsche which is that which doesn't kill you yeah 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 stronger. so yeah i i wonder if he's not just parroting what they need to say because we'll see very very soon that he we'll see that compassionate side yeah but, but there's somebody else in in that group who's kind of struggling with it too because when conan says this thing that the that the that the war that the chieftain really thinks is just the the the, the bee's knees that red bearded guy who's been conan's handler if not his owner i don't know looks at him in a kind of pensive way and mm-hmm. then uh approaches conan that night and conan immediately dutifully kind of sits he seems to be what conan seems to be whatever these people need him to be yeah the swordsman he and the swordsman get along this the person who trains him the swordsman thinks he's the best thing you know the swordsman yeah. like it. they get along but when his when the red beard guy comes up to him conan immediately almost adopts a position of a child yeah and the guy picks up an axe and hews through conan's bindings and says you're free go yeah. and we don't know why and mako even says nobody knows why yeah and i wonder if in those moments this guy wasn't like but for the grace of grom go i yeah 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 you know yeah. because i could have been this kid we were the same age when this whole when our start when their story starts so, i mean you could you could pick a million different reasons why maybe he was just drunk <laughs> yeah and, and and 
and we don't need to know. We don't, we don't. And, and no. the fact that there's a mystery about it and gives people something to think about is great. But something that goes back to the life that he's had up to this point in the narration, you know, uh, Conan doesn't think about it, but like freedom was a dream to him. The life before, they talk about what you talked about, the haze of just being on the millstone. That haze yeah. probably didn't really stop even when he's in the arena. Right, right, you know, right, right. Um, he's not a free person. He's not a person who has their own, you know, ability to do things. So we see him running. Now, now he, he's kind of been thrust from a frying pan into a fire because yeah. he's running from wolves when we see him next. And again, no, not much, not much dialogue. You know, the wolves don't say much. They aren't voiced by any actors. And Conan barely makes an escape from them into this pile of rocks. And uh, one of my favorite scenes in the movie is coming up here. He, he dips in. It's not just a pile of rocks. It's a little enclosure. I have a lot of ideas about this enclosure. Okay. I mean, I, I don't know if any of them are right, but I, I want to bounce some ideas off you in a second. Okay. He, he falls into this cave, basically, just before the wolves get him. He's unarmed. He's got chains all. He's got chains on him. He manages to start a fire. By the way, guys, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger talks about all the training that he did for this film. Mm-hmm. He learned how to climb, I guess. He learned, like, survival techniques, so, like, he could start fires, and so he could kind of have an idea of how to live in this time period. I guess he went to a lot of lengths to give some yeah. authenticity to this character, and I think it really pays off in all of his acting here. Uh, I mean, he learned a lot of sword fighting and, and uh, does most of his own stunts. Milius, in fact, said whenever he would see Arnold Schwarzenegger limping around or something like that, they were onto something. They were doing good work because it was yeah. authentic. But Conan finds himself inside of an ancient structure, a throne room or something. Mm-hmm. When he lights up a fire in the in the throne room, he sees a, a giant, right? It's a giant on a throne. Yeah. And he finds a sword. And the music, again, is really great. We don't have any dialogue. Conan doesn't, like, talk out loud. He doesn't fill us in on anything that's going on. But uh, I think that the giant is itself kind of a feast of design. Oh, totally. And, totally. and as is this whole room. Like, I is this a crypt? Is this, what is this place? But anyway, he finds a sword and he, it's covered in maybe the remnants of the scabbard that used to be there. I don't know what's on it, but the riddle of steel must be ringing in, in Conan's head here. And as he pulls the sword out, the skeleton starts to move. Now, yeah. the skeleton's hand that was holding the sword kind of falls to its lap and the head falls off. Now, I think they were sh- they were trying to shoot this in a way that was ambiguous. Mm-hmm. Is it just like the, the support of the hand that moved and the skeleton shifted in, re- in, in to the next stable arrangement? Or was there something supernatural happening here? Right. And uh, I I like that. I like that about this scene. And the, the only scene, the only dialogue we've gotten comes next was the, as the head bows and the, and the giant uh, helm falls off, I think uh, Conan utters his first Krom, which is, Krom is the god of the Sumerians. I, I, I didn't what did you think of the scene? Like, this is, oh, before you go on, sorry. Sorry, audience, I always cut Jason off. I'm an asshole. This is part of the hero's journey where the hero goes underground. Yes, yes. And will emerge reborn in some way. I, this happens twice in the movie, by the way, where the hero, where Conan goes underground. Go ahead. Yeah, but 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 as you say, I mean, it, it doesn't lay it out for us. Yeah. It makes it just the, exp- we're part of Conan's experience uh, as he's having it. And, and it's not explained to him. It's not explained to us. What a great way to phrase that go on sorry yeah yeah uh, uh he, he has to make you know his he has to decide what the meaning of the event is for him i mean were those the ideas that you had that that that, that it was supernatural or well i thought they were intentionally trying to be a little ambiguous about it yeah and, yeah. and give us i mean i think i 
I hadn't formulated it the way you did, but it is almost like we're experiencing the story with Conan. With him, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so, and I feel like that at this point, we we kind of assume that he sees it as supernatural at this point in his life. Yeah. Um, whether he would think that by the time the movie ends, I'm not sure. But this is certainly the um, the underworld experience, the the burial, the tomb, you know, where the hero kind of sends into the darkness and then comes out with something new, and he and he does, and, and he now has the the, the ancient sword that he yeah. finds there, which is. Which which also is a is a wonderful uh, the sword is one of my favorite cinema swords ever the, the Conan sword but he comes out hacks through his binding and the next time we see him he's wearing an assortment of new wolf clothing <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Um, the conservationist, the conservationist in me doesn't like that, but I understand why it had to happen. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, uh, just as an aside, I mean, not about that, but actually, this movie was not liked by uh, animal rights. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure this film was shot in that way that they they did the stunt horses, and I'm sure that yep. this has got to be one of the closing in on the end of that era. Yes. Yes, I think so. Yeah. Um, I'm sure the wolves weren't harmed because they were they were German shepherds. <laughs> so. <laughs> So then we see Conan kind of navigating this wonderful geography, kind of walking, and he comes upon a hut in the woods uh, where we meet a, definitely a supernatural character, the witch. And she very creepily invites him in to uh, enjoy the warmth of the fire. And one of the things I do like about this film is that it does present Conan as kind of a naive guy. Yeah. He's kind of naive. I mean, all he's really, he doesn't really know the world that well. And so you can almost buy him going into this, you know, this, this almost grim fairy tale character's yeah. house yeah, yeah, um, yeah and this sort of this freedom that Conan has it sparks him to start asking questions about the, the people who raided his people his people I mean he probably put that all out of his mind as a slave right because yeah. that, none of that mattered survival mattered yeah and, yeah and so now he's free to kind of pursue begin pursuing his own ends and I think this is this is this is a wonderfully seductive scene I think yeah. the witch is very much doing that twin gift and threat kind of thing she's a she's an important component of a hero's journey she's offering a thing that they need but she's also a danger yeah and the da and, and the danger must be successfully navigated and, and and it is necessary i mean yeah. actually it would not have been good if conan had just walked by because he yeah. does get information that, that he's yes the, the thing that i kind of like about the witch she played uh by a uh I, I don't know who she is she i don't know if she's been in other movies but she she gets high billing in this film and uh her name is Cassandra. Cassandra Gava. Uh, sometimes she's billed as uh, Cassandra Gaviola. I, she might have been a model or something like that. I don't know, but she's a fairly honest broker. He tells her about the standard that the that the that the raiding party who killed his village had, which is a, a really nice another nice piece of design, which has like two uh, two snakes that are facing each other over a black sun or or black moon, and uh, but they're one snake. And she says, "Oh well, you know, she's heard stirrings, uh, tidings of Conan in the wind, or whatever she listens to." Her a magical shortwave radio but he's like he needs information and she says there's a price and the price of course is that that they they interlock for the evening right right now here's something i want to introduce audience this film was always intended to be part of a series yeah this was supposed to be the first of four films yeah and i wonder we don't we don't know what happened but i wonder if this scene wasn't going to become a dramatic lever for other parts of the film and i kept thinking about mordred in this mm -hmm. scene and so i 
I, I don't know if they were going to, like, would this union between Conan and the witch have produced a child? Would it have come up again? You know, would it have come up again? I think that would have been an interesting choice. And I can see that, yeah. Audience, I'm, I, Mordred is a, is a character from the Arthur legends, right? Yeah, oh, totally, yeah. And, and I, I encourage you to go Wikipedia that. We're moving well, on. But... And, and in fact, if you watch Excalibur, the, the, the plot point that you just uh, that you just elaborated on takes place in about five minutes in Excalibur <laughs> okay. uh, in screen time. Whereas if something like that would have happened in this movie, it would have been allowed to play out over a longer period of time, which probably would have given it more dramatic weight. Than, well, I mean, can yeah. you imagine? Because at the, at the end of the film, at the end of both of the Conan films, there is a little moving still almost of Conan sitting on a throne and he's wearing, he's sitting on a throne beneath a troubled, his crown sits upon a troubled brow. brow yeah. And I could see this kind of lost child storyline coming back in to be quite a, could, could have been as powerful as the rest of the film. But like I said, we we will never know. But uh, oh, we, oh, we might. I know they, Conan, still talk, they still talk about making a third film. They should. They should make another film uh, with Arnold Schwarzenegger. During the course of their, uh, the, the, the witch and Arnold's uh, merrymaking, she reveals her true colors and uh, basically attacks him and yeah. he, he throws her into the fire, but she's a witch and she kind of bounces out in kind of a neat series of practical effects. And we get the second, Crom. <laughs> Conan is constantly uh, uh, shocked by the world, but he doesn't leave the he doesn't leave her house. That, then I would have run away screaming, but he finished <laughs> the night out. He slept the rest of the night in her hut. When he emerges, he meets his first friend, yes. who's chained up uh, to the hut outside. And uh, this guy's been caught for thieving or something. We don't know, but he's uh, food for wolves, uh, which Arnold is wearing, which Conan is wearing. <laughs> but now, just a, a small point here. I would have asked him, "Hey, dude, you were here last night. Why didn't you warn me about this?" crazy witch. <laughs> Right. You know, but but maybe he just maybe maybe he just knew that most people who went in didn't come out. Didn't come out. Yeah, yeah. He didn't want to rub her the wrong way. But they become friends. Arnold frees him. Then they start running across the step and getting into adventures like small stuff. We haven't said too much. Of, I mean, you talked about the location shooting grounding the film. We haven't talked much about the cinematography and the, the beautiful shots of what you're describing. Really underrated. I I, I don't I've, I never hear people talk about you know the the the, the photography in this movie but it's it's really 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 beautiful I, I thought so too and Subutai uh, that's the that's the new character he and Arnold hit it off right away and they they, they go to a city Subutai doesn't have a whole uh, he, 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 he he almost uses the same terms that Obi-Wan uses in Star Wars about the city they're going to being a den of thievery and, and yeah. awfulness and uh, I don't know which one of them says it but they're like well let's waste no time and get in there <laughs> You know, um, they're ready to have a good time and they do have a good time. But throughout it all, throughout their kind of visiting through the city, Conan is starting to pursue the the people who killed his people. And he gets his first clue by a guy who is offering some kind of hallucinogens. We'll find out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He learns about the snake cult in the city mm. that are in all the cities that are popping up all over. And then they get offered uh, some kind of hallucinogen. But yeah. Arnold learns about the snakes and then the guy offers them that. And then we see them kind of stumbling around stoned. So, and again, and I want to linger. Uh, I want to go back to the ideas of the movie. Mm -hmm. uh, and of course, you know, there is the Tower of the Serpent in this, uh, in this, in this village or in this town. But I want to linger again because 
hypnotism, mind control, almost almost like a modern cult of people's minds being controlled. That you know th that the villains in this film are all about control and dominating the will of others. Whereas uh, Conan, as as an individual, as uh, you know, a man who we are watching craft his own his own system and and his refusal to be dominated by this other system, which by the way destroyed his family. So yeah. he has every reason to seek revenge against them. I just I, I just want to linger there for a second again. The ideas that I mentioned earlier, they keep coming up as the movie goes along. And and I it struck me again here that okay, um, as you say, the, the, this cult of the snake is cropping up everywhere and it's about mind control. Yes, yes. Forcing other people to submit to the uh the villain. Well yeah yeah and we'll, we'll I haven't talked about that much because we don't really get Thulsa Doom's vision of the world almost until the very end. Right, right. Um, but what we come to find out is that these snake cultists are also, it's not just the common people who are being corrupted by Thulsa Doom's mind control, but mm -hmm. it's also the powerful the, of the region, which is, is something that, that, that cults seem to also like to do if they can. And so another S-cult we might yeah. we might think of fits this bill. Then I'll, then I'll leave nameless because they're also very litigious. <laughs> But but so that's his first clue. They they uh, get into some trouble. They have a really funny encounter with uh, uh, <laughs> Conan for some reason brutalizing a poor camel that they pass by. I I gotta say, I didn't. I thought that was dumb. Okay. I mean, there are very few things in this movie. This actually, this might be the only thing. Okay. Because because it made me think of Blazing Saddles. Oh. And it was a brief kick to the hind end of me out of the movie. Okay. For okay. A okay. For a brief, I, I I did not like that. It, 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 it and maybe because I mean I I think that you might be about to say that you enjoyed it. For me, it said Blazing Saddles too much. Yeah. Uh, and of course, this will be referred to later in an even worse fashion. That's the one moment in this movie that was a, a, a bit of a wart on an otherwise flawless see, frame. I didn't make a Blazing Saddles connection. All I saw were these two hallucinogenized people kind of navigate. Mm -hmm. They've already said it. They've already made kind of their, their footprint here is a lot bigger than they probably want it to be. They're behaving very messily. It just kind of screamed drunk, stoned guys moving through a, a place. And I, I thought it worked in that way. And the comedy of it worked in that way. And then the next scene, we see them having the munchies yeah yeah and so so for me it worked i can understand though why why it might not and then they oh, uh, uh, but this is small though it's, yeah, it's yeah, very yeah, small yeah. yeah and then they run out of the city and then they uh, kind of go across the land they end up in another city and this is where they find their first snake tower right yeah um and i can't remember what the name of the city is Th this is where we'll learn that they're also kind of interested in uh taking things that don't belong to them yeah and they learn about like a really prized jewel in this tower uh, this snake yeah. tower and they go to take it and that's where they meet Valeria the yes. person who will become the, the love of Conan's life but I thought this was pretty clever mm -hmm. three thieves kind of converging accidentally on a, on a high value target both kind of all of them kind of admiring each other's chutzpah yeah because she's like you guys didn't even bring a rope <laughs> And then they then they then they make their tower ascent, and uh, they all kind of in sort of the same way that Conan and Subutai hit it off. They become an instant trio, and I thought a pretty believable way. Because yeah, because I actually got the impression because again, not a lot of dialogue here, yeah. but I kind of got the impression that they don't necessarily team up. They just kind of agree to go in at the same time and stay out of each other's way. Yeah, yeah. Which uh, it, 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 like there's enough trust that okay, you're not going to turn us in. We're not going to turn you in. We're both 
looking for different things. And yeah. indeed, she does veer off from them to kind of scout the, um, I guess, the room where the where the priests are. Yeah, yeah. And it was a good it was a good decision actually because yeah. uh, having them in different places. But she she did elect to hang out in the most nice smelling area. <laughs> Yes. She's like, you guys go lower. I'll stay up here and see what I can find out. But they descend into this set, uh, this really very real looking place. Yes, yes. Uh, the tower looks real. I don't know how they did any of this, but it doesn't, it, nothing, none of it screams fake to me. And it looks like they built or built or found a tower of the serpent. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and just shot within it, yeah. Yeah, they, uh, uh, Conan and Subutai find their way through some tunnels that kind of look ominous when we when we find out later on that there's a that there's like these like smooth round tunnels and they find the eye of the serpent which is this the jewel they're after but it's above a giant coiled snake they they very deftly steal the jewel and a lot of other jewels besides but in the process they accidentally not realizing they do wake up the snake arnold uh, conan's sweat falls on its eye which uh seemed it seems that the snake is both a constrictor and venomous yeah 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 because that big fangs right yeah yeah and again i i think this is all just like nice visual storytelling and one of the things I like about this little fight between the snake, uh, Subutai and Conan is how it's all played out in silence. Mm -hmm. Like they can't yell, they can't make noise. They've just kind of got to work together without being loud because right. just a, a little bit above them, there's a bunch of priestly culty business going on. It looks yeah, like- and, and, and if any of them had been looking down at that moment, they would have seen everything. Uh, absolutely. I don't, I don't think we know that yet though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There, I just, I kind of like this kind of this, this, this fact that these two guys are having this life and death struggle with a giant very impressive effect we we almost discussed it uh, uh in detail earlier and i and i wanted to because i i was ready because it, it had been years since i'd yep. seen this movie and uh and i was ready to kind of cringe at this scene being dated yeah and i and i never did no and i, ne and I never did I, I i think it looks great i know it, it is it is intelligently filmed so that it never looks like a bad effect right you know it's it's it's, it's it's obviously some kind of puppet animatronic yes. blended with a, a real snake. The, I think the snake yeah. that's coiled at the bottom of it, I, I think that's shot in like extreme close-up. So that it looks yeah, 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 like yeah. it is. But the fight is great. And, and, but at the top there, the, this cult is preparing a sacrifice. A, a woman is being prepared to be thrown into the snake pit. Oh, not thrown, actually. She's she's so under the sway of the cult of, in this case, Rexor, the person who runs this branch of the cult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he's under her sway. Or she's under she's under his way. Valeria has moved among them. She's 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 flocked some priestess on the head and is now wearing priestly robes herself. Right. I don't know what her game is. I mean, she might just be trying to monitor the security of the place. Um, oh, um, but you know, talk about visual storytelling. If I recall, we have a shot of her standing behind one of the priestesses. Yes. And just the way that they do the composition, you knew what was going to happen. Yep. Like they didn't have to show it. And then the next time we see her in the getup. Yeah. Yep. Like just complete confidence that they didn't have to show her doing that because we knew what was going to happen and I thought that was great. That was, no, I, I thought that was really nice too. And our heroes escape the snake. All the jewels are theirs now. And they did this just in the nick of time because Rexor gives the signal and the woman throws herself into the pit and immediately starts screaming and, and, and the screaming isn't silenced right away because she's just basically crippled herself. <laughs> 
and, and for no reason because the snake isn't going to eat her because the snake is is now headless. I love Rexor's uh, reaction to this. He is shocked and angry and and immediately wants to know what's happened. And they they see the heroes shimmying up the ropes back up to the top of the tower. Valeria almost gets herself into trouble because she she screams infidels. What I get from that scene, the way Rexor looks at her, is that like they're not supposed to talk ever. Right. And she's like, well, that game is up, and she <laughs> quickly dispatches a guard and uses him as like a counterweight to get herself up the rope faster. Um, yeah. It's all pretty splendid stuff. They, our heroes make the escape. And then we get this kind of, again, no, not much dialogue, this kind of wonderful vignette of our heroes enjoying their success. Yeah. They have all kinds of wealth now. And we get this really nice uh, line from Mako where he's like, uh, success can test one's metal almost as much as the strongest <laughs> adversary. And as good as as good as thieves as they are, they're not great at success. They, they party a little too hard. Yeah. Before they... Uh... Before they're captured and discovered, we do get the montage of the beginning of Conan and Valeria's relationship, yeah. which I think was really well done because I, I, if I if I remember correctly, they're drinking and he he makes a move on her, and then and then they they have sex. It's very it's very almost animal like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, as you would as you would expect. I mean, this is what we've already seen Conan kind of introduced into this world, yeah, and and this is also you know the the ancient world, but you know there's this depiction of, of kind of mutual desire but then at the very end of the of the um, of the montage it, it's just a warm embrace between the two yeah, yeah which i thought was a nice two seconds softening of that the kind of primal aspect of their relationship and then without without any kind of overt sentiment which would have watered the film down there's just kind of an embrace between the two of them to just kind of demonstrate the the warm connection that they have we don't have to belabor the point we can move on um i think that the film does a great job of establishing their connection for us again uh, economy of visuals and dialogue to keep to keep the story moving but but to definitely give us an, uh, uh, some indication of how Conan feels about the people that he's with and and you know just this part of his journey Absolutely. Uh, I, I I just I I actually I noticed that uh, when watching it I just thought that was really well done. well it's interesting too because he in his act of seduction uh, and they're kind of seducing each other really but, yes yes but, but he gives her the most valuable jewel that they stole yes yeah yeah it was an interesting touch and that indicated to her i think in a lot of ways that he's uh, this is going to be a person that she can trust in in many ways you know in in that in that action i think of, of giving her the most valuable jewel Supertai doesn't care about any of this he's happy with whatever yeah. Richard got. he's drunk almost from the moment they left the tower i think but yeah but but, but you know i mean, I mean yeah, you, it's totally right but you know it, it's something their relationship has to be earned yes yes and the movie does that with very little effort sells their relationship to us. Now, you just pointed out the jewel, and I yeah. pointed out just how, how they used it visually. Yeah. And I think that we buy it immediately that oh, they yeah. are, that they're into each other, that they're going to be uh, mates for life, partners for life. And, and the film does that effortlessly. It does. And, no, and it, 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 does. It, it deserves a lot of admiration for it. So, but that brings us to the, the next top build actor in the movie. As our heroes are celebrating, we get that line I mentioned from Mako earlier, and Conan's head falls into some soup and he's clearly drunk. Yeah, yeah. Valeria is also drunk when they're accosted by some <laughs> some armored men. As valiantly as somebody in her state can 
rise to the occasion. She tries. She fumbles with her. She tries to awaken Conan, who falls off the table, the bench, and she tries to fumble with her sword. And then clearly they're caught. They get hauled before King Osric. One of my favorite. But this whole scene is a gem, and it's a necessary scene for the film in a lot of ways. I think, and I'll get into that in a minute. But I'll I'll, I'll let you take over here in a second. But this is a, a subtle bit of comedy that comes up when when Osric says, "I thought there were three of you." I didn't. That was a terrible Max von Sydow, by the way. But, that was pretty good. <laughs> but but uh, <laughs> Valeria's like, ah, oh, yeah, sorry. Uh, he died in the gardens. The lions ate him. And Conan nods in a kind of very naive fashion. Not a good liar. Um, <laughs> and then and then some more guards bring in Subutai, who's also drunk, and they, they push him in, and he falls on the floor. And and Osric is the lions ate him. <laughs> And he's kind of amused by that. What did you think? Well, uh, Max von Sydow, uh, I, I was very excited to see his name in the credits. We're almost done with him, though. Because <laughs> I think on the screen, he comes up last. Which, I mean, that often happens when you're a, uh, a top-billed actor that doesn't get top billing. You get last billing. Okay. And uh, so I think he gets last billing. And and uh, I, I did read that Max von Sydow was, was brought... He and James Earl Jones both were brought in really to kind of lend support to every else because um, everyone in this movie was fairly inexperienced in terms of acting at this point, except for Mako, maybe, because I know that he, he'd done a lot of TV and stuff. He was really only brought in maybe to give it some some star power, but but also to try to give, because there was a lot of work being done at this time to help Schwarzenegger with his accent and just his confidence as an actor. And he put a lot, as you said, he put a lot of work into this. So this scene to me, you know, in, in watching it, because it had been so long since I'd seen the movie, that I kind of forgotten the direction that it was going to go this is a this is kind of the i guess kind of the fulcrum of the movie where we we go from the first act to the second act because because the, the entire second act of the movie is going to be to to carry out the the rescue that king ostrich uh is going to ask of them but <laughs> later in the film i'd actually forgotten that that's what they were supposed to do <laughs> so someone so when the princess is with them i'm like who's that you know um but but yeah i i i like the little comic beat that you just uh that you just rehearsed, but but for the most part, um, Boncito's not given a lot. He's just kind of given a moment, and and he, you know, his role is to kind of basically ask of them to help him to rescue his daughter. Well, that's true, but but one of the things I think that he does, Sidow does, his character Osric fills in some of our questions about the snake cult. Okay, which is kind of it kind of helps us navigate. Like he seems uh, the Thulsa Doom seems to be recruiting and the princes and princesses of this region, and we find that sometimes these these younglings are killing their parents um by the way mm -hmm. do you think that this that uh mr lucas might have been inspired a bit when writing indiana jones and the Temple by this movie well i don't know because I... this, it's the same thing you have the the, the uh the maharaja mm -hmm. of uh, um of pankot palace who is under the spell of the ah. of the black kali remember I, I i i watched doom less than i watch any of the others so i don't remember that that but... is that that is your own misfortune, but uh, <laughs> right. but but it is it is very similar. Uh, no, okay, okay. I mean, he might have been, he might have been. But also, the other thing we get from this moment is Von Cito lending some gravitas to the picture. That's true. Kind of what you're saying. I did read that Arnold Schwarzenegger became pretty good friends with 
with James Earl Jones and Max oh. Fontidao, and they both offered him a lot of feedback. And, and Schwarzenegger is the kind of guy who actually does seek out that feedback to help him get better at, at things. And he actually was, he actually helped James Earl Jones train a lot during this film as well. Okay. But you're right. So they, so we get this kind of really nice little scene that sends them on the next leg of their adventure. Uh, they get a lot of fortune from the guy to kind of fund the beginning of their, it's like a down payment, half now, half upon receipt of the other well, you half. Say th- you say they, but uh, Sabotai and Valeria say no, right? Well, they all take the money. They all take the money. And then it's later on when they're hanging out, uh, when uh, Arnold oh, and, right. uh, sorry, Conan and Valeria are hanging out in post-coital uh, bliss. She says, Subutai agrees with me. Let's take the money and go. This isn't our yeah. fight. She has her, she's already at her own method. She's at her, <laughs> her code. And she, I mean, she makes a good case. I think it's really poignant, her, the stuff that she says, and I won't bore you with the audience, but she's like, you know, hey, we are, we don't have anything. We're, we're the dregs of society. We're always on the outside. This is our chance to go be okay. Let other people deal with their own problems. And, and Conan is pretty non-committal. Uh, of course, when she wakes up in the morning, he's gone. And yeah. the whole time she's been talking, he's been looking at the, the, the doom that that standard of the this kind of handheld standard of the of the uh the snake cult which he found at at, at the snake tower yes and that's yes. how he realized that's how he makes the connection that they're they're connected to the people who killed uh, his parents and he decides to go on his own yeah. to either rescue the princess or kill all the people i don't know what his plan was again that naivete of conan this gets him in a lot of trouble yes and we get to see him kind of interacting with the snake cult we get some narration from mako but but it all leads him to a disaster where he impersonates a priest and, and flashes this uh, medallion kind of thing that was stolen from the, the snake tower. And that's how they kind of know that yeah. he's not one of them. And, and and he gets caught. He gets caught by Doom's people. I, I think we can kind of speed through this this section. Uh, not not too quickly, because actually, uh, so they grab him and he's surrounded by all of these priests. And, and this is his first, well, adult interaction with Doom, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, did I mention that he met he meets the wizard in this before going on to the cult. We didn't met. Yeah, we didn't mention that. And that's, it's it's kind of a nice little scene uh, where he meets well, who will become the fourth member of his party. Yeah, which is played, uh, which is a wizard, kind of a shaman. You get the sense that he's like a. <laughs> I have this backstory for this guy that he's like a self-taught wizard. Like I, I bet people at other wizarding schools would be like, what the fuck is this guy doing? <laughs> there's, there's this kind of bespoke quality to Mako's wizardry that, I mean, it works, obviously, but anyway, he meets that guy before going on to Thulsa Doom's Citadel, um, and that'll come in, that'll come up later on. Go on. So he gets caught in first adult interaction. Yeah, and and, and actually Thulsa Doom says to him about the, the, the riddle of steel and the power of steel, and he talked to him about power flesh yes and and how he he, he merely kind of and and this is kind of frightening he kind of sweetly hoaxes a girl to basically leap to her death yeah and uh, because she's under his hypnotic troll and there's just something something really really just just horrible about Tulsa Doom that he's so fatherly yes and, and kind but he he will uh he will use up somebody's life and he's, yes and, and just how he he, he he disagrees with Conan that you know that Conan's problem is is that he put his faith in steel when actually the ability to control people to have to have actual being do your will you know at, at any moment is actually a far more uh, overpowering uh, ability and case in point that girl just died and 
and now Conan is going to die after uh, the most unimaginable pain. And there's nothing at this point Conan can do about it. He's outnumbered. He's caught. He's been beaten um, pretty badly. Yeah. Um, which is an interesting. Which is an interesting moment in film. You don't see Arnold Schwarzenegger have to act like a person in a lot of physical pain, beaten. Yeah. It's, it's, I think it's a. I think it's a very powerful bit of acting on his part. I quite liked it. Uh, I, I was very moved by his. You know, you killed my mother. You killed my father. You killed my people. Um, and he's just kind of stumbling around. He's in such pain. Yeah. Well, and, and you know the thing is, I mean, and you and I talked about this. We've talked about it in 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 just our private conversations. We talked about it when we did Predator. Schwarzenegger's a good actor. Yeah. Because you know, if you, if you think about, it, especially since this is very very early in his acting experience, he's good in all these scenes. There, I mean, there's never there's never a moment in this movie where you kind of where anyone should wince at any moving no. or or dialogue or anything like that. He's, no, he's really um, really good in this. Uh, he is very good in this, and James Earl Jones is amazing in this scene. Yes, um, and there's a there's a moment. I mean, he seems to. Now, I, I I don't know if he necessarily intended for Conan to die. He might have. I don't think he cared that much. But going back to what you were saying about how he just uses people, he sort of gives that a little bit away when he he's asking, "What happened to my stone?" Thorgrim says, "You gave it to a girl, probably over a, a nice whatever, a nice uh, pleasure." And then he's like, "You. This is a great line." He's like, uh, "You broke into my house. You stole my property. Killed my guards. Killed my pet. And that is what." grieves me the most the thing yeah. that grieved him the most was the loss of his pet and and everybody in the everybody in the everybody around him is his pet but and that leads us into the riddle of steel which still doom as you said rejects rejects that part of his past that was a mistake but i mean he probably had to go on that journey himself but what did you think of the riddle of steel bit what did you think of his logic what did you think what do you think of what do you think of Thulsa doom as a villain in this scene well i mean i mean actually i kind of feel like that in some way uh, uh, well well first of all just you know what you said that you know enlisting the things that conan did to him well Thulsa Doom already feels like that he has greatest treasure of all. And that is the ability to control everyone around you. Yeah. Because if you control everyone around you, you control everything. Yes, yes. And so it's almost as though Thulsa Doom, like the witch that we talked about earlier, he kind of has something for Conan. Something that Conan will be able to probably incorporate in a different way later if he can if he can overcome this, this creature. Because Thulsa Doom is totally about imposing his will on other people. And Conan kind of learns in this moment of helplessness that um, in some ways the the riddle of steel maybe maybe it's not enough maybe it's not complete yeah maybe there's more that he has to learn it's that ongoing theme of naivete that even though he's naive Conan is constantly unlike everybody else around him Conan is constantly gathering more information uh, but now he has to overcome Thulsa Doom who who I think you know Conan would never control people the way that Tulsa Doom does. Yeah. But I think that Conan does discover that because he is so easily neutralized here, which is kind of, as you, as you say, it's kind of shocking to watch, yeah. partly because it's Schwarzenegger, because we don't see that on screen very much, partly because we just didn't, ex I didn't expect Conan to be overcome so quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I kept waiting for him to escape. <laughs> just, and, 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 uh, and, then, and then it didn't happen. So it, it's quite clear that, that he, he he doesn't have the ability to defeat Tulsa Doom at this point. No. Um, and yeah. Uh, one of the 
other things too that, that, that Thilsa Doom does with him that he might not have to do with us. He didn't have to do it with Conan's mom. He's being very manipulative of Conan here. Yes. In this yes. moment, because he's like, you know, because he says, look at the strength of your bones. Look at the strength of your muscles. I gave this to you. I gave you your purpose. And uh, what a waste. Yeah. Contemplate this on the tree of woe, which is one of the reasons why I don't know. This is the second time Thilsa Doom could have ended the trouble that he was going to, the potential trouble that he could have with this this person. I see, and I and, and I see where you're, I see where you're going with that. And I agree with, I think he thinks Conan eventually a lot like, lies. yeah, uh, well, I mean, a, a lot like uh, in the Star Wars prequels that Palpatine, the, the future emperor, kind of likes having Anakin Skywalker around and because he thinks that he can groom him. Yes. And use him, you know, I mean, otherwise he would want to kill him. Yeah, yeah. Because, because he's too dangerous for him to have around. But I think that for Thulsa Doom, Conan is the ultimate weapon in the hands of Thulsa Doom if he can break him. Yeah. To, later in the film, we see Thulsa Doom uses a snake as almost like an arrow. Yeah, yeah. Okay? Now think about that for a moment, t- taking this live creature and using the live creature as a literal weapon. Yes. Well, in a figurative way, that's exactly what he wants to do with Conan. He wants to make Conan a weapon. And But as you say, I made you what you are. So he's going to continue grooming him with the the expectation that eventually Conan will be his greatest weapon well, I um, think so. against everybody else. Because it, it, we don't we don't know if that's what what Thulsa Doom wants, but I think it is because I'm reading into it. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, me too, me too. I, I really, I can't, I can't say enough good things about James Earl Jones in this. Until the next time we see Conan, we see him on this uh, this wonderfully com- composed shot of him on this ancient looking tree, crucified, surrounded by vultures, and uh, being picked at and having to defend himself with just his teeth. Yeah. But I wonder if Thulsa Doom wasn't going to come collect him, and if he was alive, and if they could bring him back. I mean, or you know rehabilitate him that would have been a moment at Conan's weakest to try and move in however and Conan thinks he's hallucinating at this point Subutai comes running over the dunes Conan starts laughing probably because at this point he's like well this is obviously I'm dying now <laughs> right and, and then he passes out and and then the next time we see him he's uh, basically swaddled and Valeria and Subutai have taken him back to the wizard to revive yeah. him and keep keep him from being taken off to the land of the dead I think is what's happening well and here and they have the runes on him yes right uh which oh just uh to go back for a moment to the tree of woe this is odin hanging on yggdrasil yeah that's right that's right yeah i mean that to me yeah 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 i think that that's absolutely right that's that that tree is actually the image i get when i when i think of that that oh that, that vignette from odin's uh yeah life. and and why did odin hang on the tree gain knowledge yeah and that is really i mean you know i i mentioned nietzsche and i i actually couldn't remember why that was in my head the whole time so you reminded me of the opening quote from nietzsche but but uh, but again, the the tree of woe, Odin hung on the tree uh, on the uh, on Yggdrasil to gain knowledge. The theme of this movie is Conan. All these experiences, he he's collecting all of this knowledge and all this information that ultimately will, I think, which is not the intention of Thulsa Doom, will make him kind of impervious of being controlled by Thulsa Doom. I think so. I think so. You mentioned earlier how Thulsa Doom brings people. It's through his mystic arts, his hypnotism. Yeah. But Conan is also quite capable of getting people to align with him but he's not manipulative about it we see it's through his character and his integrity and loyalty as a friend that that yeah. draws people to him so we do see this kind of con- contrast between the two it, again it's not really explained but 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 I think it's 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 a nice cinematic touch but they enlist the wizard's help in in protecting him and I think this is kind of a neat scene I, I think this effect 
fighting the the demons is a bit dated. It's very, it's still completely effective, but you know, you will notice, oh, well, that's, they just drew animation on that. Yeah, well, and actually, I think it's the only animation in the film. Yeah. I, I, I don't think there's any, there's any other effect like that, but but it works, it works well. And I guess that they're coming to take him to, to the underworld and Valeria leaps to his defense. Yeah. Now, something that the wizard claims that he is at a place of high spiritual power. Yeah. He kind of hangs out with some ancient gods that people don't necessarily pray to anymore. I get yeah. the sense that the that they're angry where he's at. Yeah. And, and he often seems angry because mm-hmm. before he talks to people, it's always like, ah, he'll, he'll leave. <laughs> it's some kind of like, why are you talking to me? Sound. But he also quite likes Conan and he puts himself out there and he says to Valeria before the spells start, these, these beings require a cost and she, you know, she says, I'll pay whatever cost it is. Again, that theme of there's a price for these, these, for, for these kinds of favors uh, right. offered by the magical beings of the world. And she doesn't hesitate. I'll pay it. Yeah. And so we get, we get this magic scene and Conan revives. And then they're, they just, for some reason, they decide to go ahead and go through with the mission to save the princess. Yes. I think this is, a, this next vignette is sort of reveals that Conan is not where we, he will eventually be in his life because Valeria is basically planning the mission. Yeah. And she's yeah. like, uh, all right, we're going to go in. We're going to do X. We're going to do Y. We're going to do Z. We're going to get the girl. We're going to do out. We're going to get out. And Subutai, I think, offers some like, is three enough? And she's like, oh, three thieves can do this if they're not concerned with revenge. And the whole time, Conan is sharpening his swords. And she says that, and it's a pointed comment. They don't they don't ask him really that much. You know, they're, they, they, well, no, I'm sorry. They, she does say, you know, we're just going for the girl. We'll do Thulsa Doom later. Yeah. And, and he pauses for a second. Again, great acting by Arnold Schwarzenegger. And then just goes back to sharpening his sword. He's not he's not ready to commit to that that yeah, that yeah. mission yet. And then we haven't talked about this a lot yet, but this film has a lot of great action scenes in it. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And, and so this next scene, the storming of the castle, the storming of the 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 orgy. Uh, when I first saw this, I didn't realize there was going to be an action scene that topped this mm-hmm. later on in the movie. But my goodness, them sneaking into the the citadel, I found I always find, but I found it again really enthralling and just engaging and I I, I really like watching them sneak around and yeah. get into place. I like them I like seeing them paint up in their war paint. Uh, I sent Jason a funny uh, a meme earlier this this black and white war paint that they that the that the thieves wear and it, and in the meme it said Sumerian camouflage when you just don't give a damn who sees you. <laughs> <laughs> so they're as they're storming the, the this the the cinematography here works very well to give us the geography of the room. Yeah, we see that Thulsa Doom and the princess are at the very back of the orgy room and they're kind of overseeing the the orgy. There's also this kind of grotesque element of this scene where the the feast is basically cannibal. They're, they're cannibals as well because yeah. they're eating yeah. people and it's green, soilent green. <laughs> and so we have all these body parts floating in the feast. Uh, this soup. I have a question for you. We see that Thulsa Doom in the very beginning of this scene is in some kind of trance. Yeah. My question to you is, did he know they were coming? I don't know. I couldn't figure that out. Because he is, he seems to be prepping his escape almost from the beginning of the scene. Okay. Yeah. I can see where you would, yeah, I I was unsure. I have seen this movie maybe a hundred plus times. Yeah. So I, I had this question now, like, he seems to be going into this trance early on and you see 
see his eyes go from brilliant James Earl Jones eyes to Snake's eyes. Yeah. And as the, uh, it keeps cutting back and forth from the thieves moving through, they're not thieves really in this moment, unless life is the is the property they're stealing. Right. Right. But but they keep cutting back and forth to his transformation into a snake. Yeah. And, and he's already leaving before, he's almost gone before, he's, he started to leave before the action starts, I think. Because yeah, by the time they're, they're in there, I think we see him slithering through like an escape hole. Yeah. Um, and which, by the way, I mean, all of that was done uh, at the end. It was an actual snake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, uh, but, but just the the transformation of him into the snake that looks looks good. Oh, it looks I great. It looks great. Now, another thing that happens in this scene, and it goes back to the sound structure of the film. The orgy is it's not very graphic, folks. I mean, I don't, you know, it's not over the top, but you just see a lot of like scantily clad people laying all over each other. But yeah. it's, it's got this like kind of very party-ish music of of a, of a bygone era, you know like you might hear in an old court and just before as as our heroes are getting in place they're starting to add the action mu- music a little bit it's starting to come up underneath that dun dun you know what i mean uh yeah, yeah and then it is such a beautiful transition i think from the music of the party to the music of everybody being killed <laughs> Yes, yes. It's a really nice transition to the action beat. Yes. And there's a lot of great moments in this, but I think my favorite moment is when somehow Thulsa Doom's lieutenants, Thorgrim and Rexor, get word that there's some trouble and they come into, they're not party to the orgy. Thulsa Doom isn't party to the orgy. This is probably a lot more about that that mind control stuff that that, that he's doing. When they come in, this is the first time I think Rexor and Thorgrim seem a little scared. Yeah. Because uh, when they see Conan, he's still supposed to be on the tree or he's right. supposed to be dead or they don't know what's up but they're like you and we have a, a really nice fight between Conan and the lieutenants while Subutai and Valeria get the princess out right. I, I and what did you think of this fight I thought it was one of the one of the one of the better cinematic moments in of the uh, uh, of any film we've done no no I, I I totally agree I actually I liked all the the, uh, the fight action scenes uh, of this movie but I mean at, at this point you know where we're coming into the climax this is where you if any movie has to sell if, if, if it's an action film really has to to kind of bring things up to a crescendo kind of kind of fight scene and we really get a series of them here now one of these guys i believe i actually don't have the cast list on of me ben is, uh, Orson, i think is the guy you're thinking of thorgrim the hammer well ben davidson oh uh who was a uh, nfl football player okay well spin old thorson is a power lifter who's a friend of arnold schwarzenegger and he's in almost every arnold schwarzenegger film okay yeah uh, this yeah. might have been his first film I mean, both of these guys look like this is a fight that you kind of are worried about conan yeah i mean this is a i think that the the physicality of all these actors the they portray the emotions of people about to engage in a fight where either party might die i, I just think this is a really well acted scene and puts you on i think this fight puts you on the edge of your seat oh totally and like conan's holding his own but it's a close run thing because i mean these two guys are as good as he is yeah thorgrim though the 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 guy who raised doom snake and carries a big hammer he's kind of a moron though <laughs> he's not the brightest guy because he basically uh accidentally brings down a, a big tower and it allows conan to escape right, uh, right but conan achieved his goal he held them off while they got the princess out and then thulsa doom returns uh, as our heroes are making their escape and this is where we get the scene where he's a little mad and he has some he rants a little bit and then this is where he creates uh the snake arrow oh. as they're riding away and he shoots it now I get the sense this goes back to my thinking and and, and kind of dovetailing with your hypothesis uh, I guess our mutual hypothesis he's trying he's still trying to groom Conan he could have hit any
anyone in that group. Yeah. He killed her. Yeah. Um, he, he shoots Valeria, not Conan. He could have shot Conan. Could have shot, yeah. shot any of them. But he left Conan alive. And so anyway, they she dies, uh, uh, of course. And uh, another another great scene where Conan's extracting the arrow and he's got the snake stretched out. This is a, I just want to talk about this for a second. <laughs> it's a nice, it's a nice bit of practical filmmaking. He's He's got the, he's pulling out the arrow and it's a nice handoff between the prop, which is a, just a, a, probably a shaft of styrofoam or something like that. And then they cut well, and now he's got like a snake stretched out. And when that snake comes out, it's a real snake and it curls around his hand and, and Schwarzenegger uh, does a great job of being Conan and being horrified by what's just happened. This was a living creature and he doesn't kill it, which I thought was kind of nice of Conan. He just kind of throws it on the ground. Not the snake's fault, I guess, that it got turned into an arrow. Um, <laughs> but Valeria dies. And this is where Conan maybe gets to use a bit of strategy in a moment, but first they do a pyre for Valeria. And this is kind of a another another character building moment because he takes her and sets her on this old stone. What kind of, what would the stone be called? It's some kind of altar. Yeah, altar is what yeah. I would just say. Or, and, yeah. uh, they've set up a pyre and and the wizard has said fire won't burn up there. Uh, he's saying that to Subutai, who's got a torch, but Conan set the, the pyre up there and Subutai doesn't pay any attention to the wizard and they run up and the, the fire will burn up there. And so that makes me wonder if maybe this is the first sign that maybe the, the gods of this area are on their side. Yeah. And there'll be another sign about that later on, but <laughs> but I thought it was a nice little touching scene when Subutai runs back down from the hill and he's crying. The wizard's like, "Why are you crying?" <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and yeah, go ahead. He says that uh, because because Conan won't, and so he yeah. cries for him. Yeah, I thought it was nice. But now this is a moment where they've got the princess. I think I wonder if we see that Conan's decided to lay a trap for Thulsa Doom. Yeah, and there he and and Subutai turn this weird ruins area into a, a giant death trap. Yeah, and they're using the princess's bait uh you know what film they borrowed from from uh for this no no i don't what, what film was it the seven samurai oh that's that's right yeah, that yeah. Is, that is kurosawa right. film yeah. Yeah, yeah uh um specifically that's what they which that's what they were going for well it's interesting that you see that because all i could think of in this last vignette was a lot the, the the storming of the castle i all i thought of was seven samurai the whole time i didn't know that but i was thinking of that because the the score is very similar to that heavy drum yes yes absolutely samurai. and the action scene is even like some of the the scenes from seven samurai when they storm uh the the enemy base but conan and uh conan put his studies to use here in this yes. in this moment and uh mako has found uh i'm sorry the wizard has found a bunch of old weapons for them the princess has an elevated idea of her position in the cult doesn't she because she she says before before everybody comes in to take her back she thinks that that Dulce doom will come for her and kill conan for what he's done and all that but uh conan isn't intimidated by her threats right but again another great build up to an action scene here I, I i was really marveling this time at how the camera moves in this in this next scene from the from the moment we see the horses in the distance the tracking shot of subutai moving into position yeah yeah and the and the and the and the music beneath it i just think it's 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 entirely wonderful filmmaking i i agree look this movie has always been respected yeah uh, like i mean i even remember from when we were younger that you wouldn't find a lot of people or you know, critics or whatever yeah. who, who disliked this movie but i don't always i don't think you always found people saying that it was great yeah but actually a lot of the elements that we're talking about make the cut to greatness yeah me. because i know i know exactly what you're talking about 
about. I think I think this whole setup for this final scene, uh, uh, in terms of location, in terms of, of just kind of the you know the the long shots of as you said of the of the horses getting into position for the final attack. It's it's just really really terrific. It, it looks great. Yeah, interspersed with the the horses riding to the Valley of Death, we get Conan praying to Krom. Never prayed to you before. I have no tongue for it. No one, not even you, will remember if we were good men or bad, why we fought or why we died. No. All that matters is that two stood against many. That's what's important. Baba pleases you, Kram. So grant me one request. Grant me revenge. And if you do not listen, then the hell with you. Which is one of, one of my favorite little monologues of the whole movie. Absolutely. One of the few. <laughs> <laughs> it is a very Norse kind of way to approach your gods. Yeah. They have their own business. The gods are about their own things. But I, I do like the kind of uh, stoicism that, that that Conan kind of has with this. You know, it's, I, I just I just really find this, oh gosh, I don't know. I, I, can't even, I, I don't even have words. I just, I just think it's such a really nice moment for Conan. I think the word I was looking for here was riveting. I think it's riveting. My perspective of what he says, which again, kind of served very well to kind of fit into how I was watching the movie up to this point, which is my idea of, you know, the kind of, you know, Conan is this Superman individualist who is is really learning how to kind of remake the world in his own image. And then in this instance, he even, it's it's not that he doesn't believe in Krom. He just, he accepts the possibility that Krom is not going to help him. And in which case, to hell with you, I'll yeah. do it myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and to me, that was just, again, kind of Conan's will, which has carried him throughout all of his adventures up to this point, which was the seeds for which were laid in the very first scene. And now this is the moment of truth. He yeah. knows that either he's going to die this day or he will get revenge. There's not going to be a, a third possibility. Yeah, you know? yeah no, because they are, they are kind of stranded there. There's no... Yeah, yeah. Um, no, that's right. He and Supatai seem to have a... A very similar position on that on the, the gods because do you remember when the wizard comes up with all of the weapons mm-hmm. and he's like the gods are pleased with you and I get the sense that he's giving them these because the gods of the region are pleased with them and either Supertai or Conan say are they going to help and, <laughs> yeah. and the wizard's like no and <laughs> like well, then tell them to stay out of the way you know or something yeah. like that um, then we get the kind of uh, the music that leads into the first impact and then I think the score is even though I've said canned it's really glorious because it, it, it's timed perfectly with the first impact of Conan's axe into a guy riding by, not realizing that he was riding into the last trouble that he would ever have. But it's just, I, I just think that this whole scene, I, there's, I don't know how much we want to linger on different elements of the battle. Everything's going pretty swimmingly for our heroes, though. Their traps are working and, and it only starts to have, they only start to have trouble when the two lieutenants ride in. Right. And, and they seem to have eyes only for Conan, so that's okay for Subutai, who, who uh, he 
and the wizard have their own troubles, but they're not nearly the troubles that, that Conan has with right. Rexor and Thorgrim. And we get the payoff with the death of Thorgrim for this major trap that we see Subutai and Conan build, which is this giant spike attached to an arm and a counterweight. Anyway, Thorgrim hits Conan and I won't, I won't spoil it for you, audience. Oh, that's a first for Max and Jason watch a movie. <laughs> um, well, I didn't know how I wanted to try and describe it. Uh, all I'll say is that Thorgrim goes out really badly. Yeah. And there's a scene where Thorgrim's like writhing and dying on the spike that just went through his chest. It's kind of this moment where you see Conan reflecting on what's what's going on a little yeah. bit. He's got a moment to think about things in the heat of the battle. Like, I don't know what he's thinking about, but you kind of get the sense of, is he is he sorry? Is, it, is, this, is this a good thing? I mean, there's, it seems like Arnold's playing a lot of different emotions out mm-hmm. on this, on his face here, and I, which I just think is a, is a nicely ambiguous scene. What what is Arnold thinking of? What's Conan thinking as he's looking at this guy, going? <laughs> um, but prior to that, he might have thought that he had he was going to have no more trouble with uh, Rexor because Rexor tries to ride him down. And mm-hmm. this is probably one of the reasons why the, the animal rights people didn't like this movie is because of these kinds of stunts that the people do with the horses. Conan is on foot. Rexor is trying to ride Conan down. And it looks like Conan is going to meet them head on. And what is implied is that he cuts the legs off the horse. Yeah. And the horse does a, a horse somersault and Rexor hits the ground and then Arnold dispatch Conan dispatches with he has a fight with Thorgrim and uh but Rexor reappears and almost kills Conan mm. knocks Conan down is about to hack through him and his sword is blocked by the shimmering glow of another sword right the shimmering sword hits Rexor in the eyes which would have been enough for me to give up the fight but but I don't think <laughs> right. it's a it's a real sword exactly right because when Conan looks up and sees his savior it not only is the the sword a shimmering sword but the woman who wields it is all a shimmer herself and it is Valeria yes uh repeating a line that she had uttered earlier in the film do you want to live forever and then then Conan has his final fight with Rexor what do you what do you think of any of this I'm, I'm I've been babbling on about this well I, I mean I I think it's a great uh, kind of final action beat with the the two main henchmen baddies I guess we could say yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then to have Valeria come in uh, uh, to kind of save the day is just kind of serves to to br- uh, bring their relationship to, to to or their story to kind of a conclusion. So I like that. I yeah. liked. Uh, I thought it was all well done. Yeah. Well, I thought it was nice too because it pays off her promise earlier. Like if I was dead, I would come back from the. I would scramble yeah. out of hell to defect to defend you. That's powerful love. Yeah. I still love this scene when Rexor dies and he he makes some blunders in his fight with Conan. And his sword breaks. It's Conan's father's sword right. breaks. And every time Rexor misses, he gets cut and loses more blood than is in the human body. <laughs> um, and and when he finally when he finally falls, there's there's this gout of blood. It looks like somebody had like a bucket and they just threw it up in the air. I I, I mean it's it's over the top, but for some reason it works in this scene. Yeah. And, then, and then Conan picks up the swords and he 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 reenacts the the pose that he would do after the winning of a of a match, a gladiator yeah. fight. I thought it was a nice a kind of a, a nice callback to that. Conan maybe feeling like he had just survived something like what he did back in his youth. But the um 
you know, it's important that his father's sword broke. Yes. And, and is broken. Because to me, that's kind of the, the theme that I've that I followed throughout when I watched the movie. Yeah. Where when he was a child, he was taught about Brahm and the riddle of steel and all of this. And what Conan has learned in his adventure, now he still uses steel. Yeah. yeah. You know, he still he still has his father's sword and he's gonna use it again. But Conan has learned something else. Yeah, he has in fact learned something from from uh, from Tulsa Doom, the the the, the, you know, the power of flesh, because because it, uh, it it was Conan's will that actually was able to get him to this point. You know, the sword by itself was not enough. Yeah. Everything that his flesh had experienced throughout this film, everything that he suffered, gave him information that the mere riddle of steel would not have been able to overcome. I think you're I think you're absolutely right about that. I think you're I think you're absolutely right about that. I think you're I think you're absolutely right about that. When the sword broke, it breaks. It sort of also breaks down some of the lessons that his father had taught him. Like yes. you say about the, yeah. Because his father was wrong. Yeah. Not yeah. man, not woman, not beast. Can you trust? However, it turns out that Conan's life is saved by people who he by trusted. By people. Who pe- people who he trusted and, and the sword had broken. Yes, yes. Look, and this movie does not, it does not beat us over the head with any of this stuff. Yeah, oh, I mean, no, no. You have it's all it's all very subtle. You have to kind of think about it. As I just said earlier in the in, in, in our discussion, this movie does deal with real ideas. Oh yeah, it's a thoughtful movie. Absolutely. Now, Thulsa Doom is a petulant loser, and he's stayed well back from the fighting. And the princess starts crying out for him to come save her. She calls him yeah. father, which adds a creepy touch to their yeah, relationship, I think. And but he makes another snake arrow, and yeah. it's Subutai that saves her from. From from Thulsa Doom was going to kill her if he couldn't have her. It seemed right. he fired his arrow and and uh, Subutai manages to get in the way and block it with an with the with the shield. I like that character moment again as the contrast from Conan. Like Thulsa Doom is loyal to no one but Thulsa Doom. Yeah, and and I just thought there was a nice little exclamation point on that on that character trait. And he rides off, but he is undaunted when we see him later. When we see all of his followers uh, around his temple, thousands of candles and he's giving this is this is what he wants to do we learn his whole uh end game i guess we learn his goal with his cult mm-hmm. they're going to burn away the old world and create a new order and a new peace i mean he's selling a a, a load of shit to these people obviously because what yeah. he wants i get i get the sense he just wants all the power yeah and yeah. james earl jones delivers these lines brilliantly i i i, I sort of I'm really captivated by the way he just cult leaders away in this scene. Yeah. As he's talking, Conan has moved pretty easily through the thinned ranks yeah. of yeah. Thulsa yeah. Doom's guard as he's approaching Thulsa Doom as he's giving this speech. We get the last the last gambit of Thulsa Doom trying to manipulate Conan one more time. Um, My son. And this is some of the some of the best acting that, that, that James Earl Jones will do in the film. Uh, this is some of the best acting in the film where he he, he does try. He's I think the character is desperate in this moment, but he doesn't betray that at all. Yeah. What will you be without me? If you kill me, what purpose will you have, my son? You know, and it almost works, it seems like. Conan drops the sword, he drops his guard for a second. Yeah. And then blinks back awake and uh chunk. <laughs> He drops the sword into uh, Thulsa Doom's neck once. I like the shock in Thulsa Doom's face when that happens. Yes, yes. He, because he really believed that eventually Conan would be his servant. Yes. He looks suitably shocked and, oh, the game's up. Yeah. That's it. That's yeah. it. And uh, the crowd is shocked as well. There's a oohs and ahs and oh my gods. And then uh, Conan decapitates Thulsa Doom in front of everybody, hurls his head down. In a very grotesque sound as the as the head hits the marble yes. steps. I, I 
I, I cringe every time I see that. And the crowd leaves. They're like, I thought it was just really uh, kind of a nice understated moment where everybody just throws their torches away and I guess goes back to 7-Eleven to work. <laughs> <laughs> And that's pretty much the end of the movie. We get the vignette about Conan uh, wearing his thorn, uh, his crown on a troubled brow. Dun, 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 dun. Credits roll. It's a story for another day. Exactly, exactly. Which I like, I like. Where does that leave you in the film? Where did, what, 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 would, what was your takeaway from the, from the in the final scene? The It's not an action scene, but it is the, the conclusion of the film. That, there, that there's a promise of other stories to come. And, uh, and, and, and maybe even these stories will be endless. And that in the end, he, you know, Conan, what we just saw, will he will end up being a king yes i i, I like that 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 tease i like yeah, that yeah it's, it's, it's really effective and now the verdict conan the barbarian from 1982 um this is a movie i had seen before i always liked it uh and and i think it's always been a film that's been very well respected but one of the things i was very conscious of when watching it this time is i actually challenged myself to find flaws in it things that things that don't work things that uh, are dated or or aged, or, or 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 dramatic beats that don't work, or action beats that don't work, and um, I really came up mostly empty in in finding anything. This this is a really really terrific movie, bordering bordering in, on greatness, and perhaps crosses into that border, uh, which I didn't really fully expect. I knew I was going to like it, but I um I would say most movies that we have watched, except for the really really obviously great ones, we usually find some some things to say. Uh, I'll forgive the film for this or that. Folks, this movie, I, I think everything works. I think this movie has, has aged very well. There's this economy of storytelling that I just admire so much. The cinematography is absolutely gorgeous. The production design is perfect. It's, it's what I would want from any era. The music is 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 very affecting and moving for an action film. And, and the cast is, is all good. I, I really recommend this movie. I think people, if you haven't seen it for many years, I think you might be surprised at how well it's aged. And for my verdict, I agree with everything Jason just said. I think this is a really nice representation of the sword and sorcery or the sword and sandal film genre, which had sort of gone, sort of waned by yeah. this by this period in the 80s, even more than being a representation of that, that genre. Uh, I think that Conan the Barbarian also functions as a really nice essay on the kind of classical idea of being a warrior with integrity. Um, it serves as a nice essay on bravery and friendship. Uh, and it's always appealed to me in that way even even more than as an action movie i think and in, in, in a lot of ways anyway that's my verdict uh what are we doing next week jason oh never mind i know it's conan the destroyer this is right another dino de Laurentiis production i think but picked up by universal starring arnold schwarzenegger and uh no one else from this movie oh no mako mako returns yes and actually uh basil polidorus returns to the score um, which is uh which is evident yeah 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 yeah. i would also note that sven ol thorson also appears two more okay. two times in this film in the next film uh anyway we'll we'll get to that uh, in the next movie. All right, guys, share us on social media. Share us on your Facebooks, your Twitters, your Instant Messenger, wherever you share, wherever you share things. That's all I got. You know what to do, guys. Bye bye. Bye. All right, that was weird. And it got some good reviews from nope. certain people, including Mr. Ebert. I had to tell the dog to quiet down. I was recording a masterpiece. Where were, where did we go before? Where, where were we before we started our own hero's journey, Jason? <laughs>